This is the remix. Let's call it the city of good neighbors for a reason. I mean, you saw that uh, in full effect on Friday and Saturday. And you want to go? Or? Oh, you can go. I don't want to. Okay. We've been booed, yes. And every time something is bad, fans are going to boo, and they have a right to do that. You sense any give up in the locker room? Hell no. What kind of questions that, Phil? His 2K teammate grade went to an A plus on that one. That he caught that ball, and the only thing he was thinking about was the team. That's Raider football right there. A plus. No, so our bus has actually come down that tunnel and then they hit a right. And so I was like, we could really just go right here and hit a left. No, but he said, we started jumping. I said, let's go, we're out of here. He said, yeah, and he's like, wait, wrong tunnel. I was like, I know Tay, you don't have to tell everybody, you know. But no, it was, it was a good memory. Just crushed my dreams. Boom, sadness, that's the one. Derek Carr apparently tried to lead the Raiders down the wrong tunnel. I had not heard Derek Carr's... Uh, explanation where it sounds like he he knew where he was going it was just an alternate route but Devonte adams uh kind of threw car into the bus saying no no he's trying to take us down the wrong tunnel he didn't know where to go after we won that game. well uh, right now like in the year 2022 would you trust Devonte adams going down a tunnel <laughs> <laughs> okay so we're going to break on that <laughs> all right hold on let me ask you this about Devonte adams Candy, every show has a damn walk-off uh Adam Candy, our resident referee, I, I am curious, how many F-bombs directed at the ref, not like at a player or at yourself or just excitement, how many F-bombs directed at the referee is enough to get a flag for unsportsmanlike conduct? Three and a half. Okay. I have no idea. Huh? Like, like, I, like, football referees are willing to put up with a lot more than those of us in other sports, right? Like... Some player comes up swearing at you and dropping F-bombs in basketball. It is just the calmest step away and technical foul that you've ever given. <laughs> but in football, like with the emotion of football and the fact that when you throw that flag, it's 15 yards and you destroy a drive, like it's a whole other thing. Because that, that is exactly what happened. Devontae Adams, I think he wanted a uh, un- uh, unnecessary roughness hit to be called against Denver's defense. He did not get it. And he stood up and immediately started cussing out the referee. And by my lip-reading skills, which I will admit, I don't think I have very good lip-reading skills, he got two in before the flag came out of just standing, staring, and walking towards the referee while dropping F-bombs. So uh, I do not remember which referee it was, but it, his his number was two. Uh, two F-bombs from Devontae Adams was enough to get the flag for unsportsmanlike conduct. And like you said, it was a 15-yard penalty and killed a drive. The Raiders were on that drive across midfield. I believe it was going to be second and 10. And because of that penalty, they got bumped back the other side of midfield. And it was second and 25 instead of second and 10, completely ruining that drive. Um, we talked a lot at 7 o'clock about sort of the Raiders and sort of the rest of the season, what it means for the offseason. I want to talk a little bit about the Broncos and this actual game. How much criticism do the Broncos deserve for throwing on that third down? It was third and 10. They're under two minutes. The Raiders do not have a timeout left. Uh, There's a minute 44, or the Raiders end up getting the ball back with a minute 44 down three because Russell Wilson threw it in completion. Had they simply run the ball, there would have been about a minute 10 left on the clock, and it would have been much more difficult for the Raiders to get down the field and get in position to kick that game-tying field goal. So how much criticism... Do they deserve for throwing on that third down? 
a lot, Tyler. They deserve a lot of criticism, and I know it's the low-hanging fruit, and I know it's everyone is talking about this morning, but that's 101 when it comes to the clock management, when it comes to quarterbacking, when it comes to coaching, and that's what really jumps out at me about the Broncos. That's not a situation where it's all on Nathaniel Hackett, where it's all on Russell Wilson, but it's all on the team that somebody has to figure that out. That even if you call the pass play, as Miles Simmons said, you take the sack. If you call the pass play, what's stopping Russell Wilson from going up to the line and changing the play? What is stopping anyone on the Denver coaching staff from saying, whoa, 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 pass on third and 10? And I get it. You're trying to play for the first down and end the game, but that's not how. If you're trying to play for the first down and end the game, why would you not have thrown the ball sooner? Why would you you not have thrown the ball at some point prior to third and 10? Something safe, like a screen. Something safe, like a quick out. But that's not what they did. They waited till third and 10, and then the only thing left to do on third and 10 is take 40 seconds off the clock. Because at that point, it's pretty clear you're giving the ball back. So I'm going to make a comparison to just a random play that happens in the NFL. And Aaron Rodgers has been the best at it in the last decade or so. Patrick Mahomes does it a lot. But not every quarterback does this. When the defense has a 12th player on the field who is sprinting off. Aaron Rodgers almost every single time gets the snap off and throws the ball 30 to 40 yards down the field because they know it's a free play. And if it's incomplete, intercepted, whatever happens, you're getting five yards and that down over again. Rodgers is great at it. Mahomes does it. But the thing that stands out to me about that specific play is that not every quarterback in the league is able to do that. We just saw Derek Carr had a chance to do it and He like took his time, was checking to something at the line of scrimmage, and the Broncos were able to get a timeout called before Carr could snap it with 12 men on the field. And it's always stood out to me as like, I feel like that should be standard across the NFL. Every team in the league should be able to do that. But there's like, I don't know, maybe a next level of thinking that it's hard to get to that level as a quarterback that, hey, everything that's going on and I'm aware they're running off a 12 player. Let's get the ball snapped and have my receiver running down the field. But that's always stood out to me as like, That's another level of quarterbacking. The reason I'm making that comparison is because we just saw Taylor Heineke in a similar situation rolling out to pass and he slides and takes a knee and ultimately wins a game because he got hit late and they got the penalty and got the first down there. We saw Taylor Heineke do that in a situation where you'd expect a quarterback to sort of know know what's happening, know what your team needs, know exactly what happens regardless of what decision you make. Taylor Heineke showed he had that. And for some reason, Russell Wilson didn't show that he had that ability to think beyond the actual play call to make the right decision. And it just kind of blew me away a little bit because the other part there, like I'm perfectly fine with throwing on that third and 10. I, if I'm a team and it's a third down and I know, Hey, I get the first down. I win the game. I'm calling whatever my best play call is to get that first down. But there's two things that should have happened on that play call. Number one, There should have been a check down somewhere for Russell Wilson to throw a uh, line of scrimmage completion that would easily keep the clock running. And obviously guys can drop passes or it could be covered, but that at least needs to be an option. Both receivers on that side of the field were like 15 yards or more down the field. And then the second part is directly on the quarterback and not understanding if it's not a guaranteed completion or at least, you know, an 80% chance I complete this pass. I've got to go down. I've got to keep the clock running so that we pump the ball away with 110 left and not 150 left. And that to me is what stood out there is we just saw Taylor Heineke show sort of that. It's not, I don't even 
consider it next level, but that next level thinking during the game. And then we saw Russell Wilson not think beyond the play call. And it just, it's stunning to me that Russell Wilson could be that bad in that situation. Well, all right. But Tyler, to be fair to Russell Wilson, it's not like he's ever been in a situation before where a play call has come in on a fairly obvious running situation. <laughs> he's decided to throw the ball. He did it twice. Yeah, that's fair. That's a good point. Uh, I. It's just, it's beyond me how bad Denver has been at head coach and at quarterback this year. And Nathaniel Hackett got off to a terrible start. He actually probably hasn't been as bad as he was at the first, what, three or four games of the season because it's almost impossible to be as bad as he was the first three or four games of the season. But it's incredible to me how bad Russell Wilson has been at quarterback. Again, the stat that I gave you at the start of the show was that before this game against the Raiders, and technically it's true if you just count regulation, if the Broncos scored exactly 18 points in every single game this year, They'd have been 8-1, and and now they'd be 9-1. and But they cannot get to 18 points with Russell Wilson at quarterback. We've criticized Derek Carr a lot about uh, the offense he leads and how, well, they only ever average like 20 points per game, right? And it's like, yeah, it's like an average NFL offense. If Carr's really that great, they'd be scoring more points than that and everything. Russell Wilson can't get his team to 18. They've got an unbelievably good defense, and they can't score 18 points in a game. And then you have these situations where he just... Looks like he doesn't know what he's doing. Looks like he doesn't understand the scenario. I don't. Know. It's just incredible to me how bad that is. And not to say Nathaniel Hackett doesn't deserve to be fired, but Nathaniel Hackett's going to be fired largely because Russell Wilson's contract is unmanageable as the Denver Broncos because they can't get out of it for, what is it, another two years after this. So today, 2022, no contract involved. You just have to pick one. Russell Wilson or Derek Carr? Derek Carr. I think Jared's right. Holy crap, I'm right. Like, he's just... I, don't, I, I think Jared's right. Because have we have we seen a good game from Russell Wilson this year? Uh, a good game? Yeah. No, we've seen, like, a good quarter. But yeah. we've never seen a full-on good game from Russell Wilson. Like, the, the whole reason you would take Russell Wilson over Derek Carr before the season or even maybe right now is because... We've seen we've seen Russell Wilson play like oh that guy top five quarterback in the league that has happened in his career that's that's never happened with Carr right Carr has always been every season ah he's like the eleventh or twelfth best quarterback in the league right but we've seen that out of Wilson and there's an idea oh maybe it's still in there maybe you can still go get it but I don't think it's still in there I, I don't I don't think you can go get it like sure you can get somebody better than Nathaniel Hackett in there and maybe you can you know. Sean McVay or Mike McDaniel it, and you make a Jimmy Garoppolo or a Tua look much better than they actually are. But I don't think that's in there. And I think you could do that with cards the same you could do it with Wilson. I just don't think that uh, ability for Wilson to be, ah, there's your top five quarter. I, it's not in there. He's not going to be that quarterback again. He reminds me of Philip Rivers near the end. It, it's like he's 10 years younger than <laughs> Philip Rivers near the end. But Philip Rivers near the end nearly won a playoff game in Buffalo with Indianapolis. Russell Wilson is going to be doing high knees in front of Sierra when the playoffs start. Hey, they are undefeated when he does high knees on an airplane for eight hours. We know that. That's the key here. They've got to get on a plane, even when they play home games, get on a plane and just fly around while Russell Wilson does high knees near his teammates. All right, one last thing that I wanted to bring up here. We had in the playoffs a Chiefs, Bills game that was phenomenal. And 
Josh Allen didn't get to touch the ball in overtime, right? And it caused an NFL rule change only for playoff games, though, that uh, both teams' offenses are going to get to touch the ball in overtime. There's no walk-off touchdown scenario. But in the regular season, you can still have the walk-off touchdown. The other team doesn't touch the ball. And we saw that yesterday. Raiders won the coin toss. Raiders got the ball. Devontae Adams, somehow wide open, uh, has a walk-off touchdown. Where were all the people clamoring that Russell Wilson and the Broncos didn't get a chance to win the game? Clamoring? Anybody who stayed until that overtime was someone who was so thrilled the moment Devontae Adams broke the plane of the end zone (laughs) to be able to turn that game off. Someone wanted to watch more of that. Show me the person who wanted to see more of that game. Broncos fans included. Remember when the Broncos fans were all streaming for the exits against Indianapolis earlier this year, even while the game was still going on and going to overtime? That's how everybody feels about watching the Raiders and the Broncos. It's the football equivalent of the people that had giant meteor 2020 on their car. (laughs) Just like, just end it. I don't care anymore. Oh, the Denver Broncos. What a football team. It is is very impressive when the Josh McDaniels Raiders are in your division and you are still (laughs) the worst team and the least competent team in the division. It is incredible. What the Denver Broncos are this year. Can't get enough of it. Every part of it is amazing. All right. Coming up next, it's Bischoff's Briefs, and we take a look at the undefeated Running Rebels. Bischoff's Briefs. Throwing out random numbers authoritatively is the best way to pass as a baseball expert. Bischoff's Briefs. By the way, it's commendable how many baseball players care so deeply about the Equal Rights Amendment. Bischoff's Briefs. Somebody get me some antibiotics because that ball is gonorrhea. Bischoff's Briefs. The Netherlands and Senegal. Still scoreless. 60 minutes in. Uh, Adam, just so you know, degenerate Danny walked in here looked at the TV and uh, dropped an F-bomb because you're not going to believe this. He bet on the Senegal-Netherlands game. Uh, So that's fun. We'll get to Danny's field goal bet a little bit later in the show. Uh, Bischoff's briefs today, though, is looking at the running Rebels, who beat High Point on Friday, 78-68. to High Point is not a completely terrible team. They're not good, but not just awful. So beating them by 10, that was actually the projected margin uh, by Ken Palm. But interestingly enough, UNLV trailed at halftime of this game. And one of my questions last week was what type of team is going to upset UNLV, right? UNLV is a great defensive team that we've seen through four games, but they struggle to score. And so we might have gotten an answer with High Point as to what type of team will be able to upset UNLV, even though UNLV won that game. And it might be a high three-point volume team. High Point is a team that shoots a lot of threes, and UNLV was losing at halftime because High Point made seven first-half threes. Now, how sustainable is that even in just a single game? That's a big reason why UNLV was able to win this because High Point didn't hit seven threes in the second half. But here's what UNLV is defensively. They are a team that does not allow opponents to dribble into the paint. Other teams are going to struggle dribbling into the paint. They're not going to play really great teams in the rest of their non-conference schedules. So There's probably not going to be a team out there that really punishes UNLV by getting into the paint and breaking down the defense. I'm curious to see what it looks like when they get into Mountain West play, how many teams are going to have a guy that can do that. But UNLV, I think in almost every game, and might end up being every single game, 
is going to be suffocating in terms of not getting beat off the dribble and not allowing players to get into the paint. And if that's true, UNLV is not going to give up layups. That's something they've done incredible so far this season. They don't give up layups. They do give up threes because this is a team that plays sort of the help side defense, the the midline defense. They've got guys in the paint ready to help, ready to rotate. Or even if they do get beat off the dribble, there's somebody waiting to prevent a layup. They'll double the post even when there's not a clear mismatch. Like this is a team that's main priority is not to give up layups, but it does mean they give up threes. And teams that already rely on a bunch of threes and teams that can knock them down, I think that's the type of team that'll be able to upset UNLV because that's where their defense is probably a little bit vulnerable this season because giving up threes is already baked into what they do as a scheme. So when they play a team like High Point that likes to shoot a lot of threes anyways and can make a lot of threes in a short amount of time, that's the type of team that'll upset UNLV this season. Um, But again, I will say the one caveat, we'll see once they get into Mountain West play, if they start getting beat off the dribble a little bit more. Because obviously, if there's a team that can just get to the rim against UNLV, you're going to lose games because that's the best thing you want to do as a basketball team. But I don't I don't feel confident that there's going to be a bunch of Mountain West teams that can do that effectively against this UNLV defense. Okay, fair. My question to you has nothing to do with the actual mechanics of how UNLV will defend, which obviously has looked fantastic for a lot of this year. And I think it really is a matter of team defense versus individual defense that has been so remarkable to me and just how it feels like even the extra pass doesn't seem to affect them uh, defensively. My question to you is this. Is a defense-first UNLV team, if it wins, going to get people back into the Thomas and Mac? Because the game against Dayton, for the for when it was being held, and the fact that it wasn't a huge crowd, it's still televised pretty well in terms of the energy in the Thomas and Mac, which seemed like it was more than I had seen in a couple of years. There, I mean, even against High Point, there was a couple of moments in that game where UNLV had a great, like, two, three, four-minute stretch, and the crowd, like, gets into it. Even when they've had terrible crowds, the crowd gets into it when UNLV plays well, and especially when they're playing well as a whole in the season. I think the issue here for UNLV is that it's going to be multi-years before that crowd is actually back to it. Probably won't be back to the 18,000, but it's back to being like, oh, this is what we think of when we think of UNLV basketball and what the Thomas and Mac is supposed to be. I think it's going to take multiple years. If this team this year is like, the 13th best defense in the country and they go on a terrific winning streak. And even if they don't make the NCAA tournament, but they're at least like close or whatever. I don't know if that translates this season. We'll obviously see better crowds as it goes on, but I think it's going to take multiple years. I think ultimately UNLV needs to make the NCAA tournament and then come back the next year with another good quality team. And that second year is when you would see the crowds returning to UNLV. I think it'll be hard for them to get it in the same season that they're actually like good or back to where, hey, this could go to the NCAA tournament. So if it's just this year, hey, they're 13th best defensively and that's carrying them, I don't think it happens. I'll be honest with you. The idea of a great defensive team, I don't think it matters. I think what matters is UNLV playing meaningful games. Is UNLV, like when they play San Diego State, who's going to be in the top 25 all year, that that game matters for UNLV beyond just upsetting a good team. That that game matters for, hey, 
if we beat San Diego State, it's a quad one win, and that helps our net ranking, and it puts us in a better spot on the bubble. Like, I think they need to be playing games that matter, and how they do it, I don't think it's going to matter too much at all to UNLV fans. People will come back when they're, you know, hey, UNLV's receiving votes and they're playing the number 14th San Diego State. Hey, UNLV, if they beat uh, Utah State, right, they're going to jump up on the bubble and it's a quality. I think that's what UNLV needs is to play games that matter because we're almost on a decade here. When's the last time UNLV played a game in February that's mattered? They haven't done it in eight years. So I think that's the real key is can you sell to people, hey, this game means something for the NCAA tournament. And San Diego State, the team you brought up, is the perfect example of that. How long were Steve Fisher's team scoring 55 points and winning games by double digits, <laughs> right? And people were still showing up at Viejas to watch that team play because they just consistently won. They couldn't score. They were brutal to watch, and they were still going 27-5 and five and going to the tournament. All right. I have two very important things to tell you about before we go to break and talk to Mike Ramala. First off, Jordan McCabe missed the game, was not on the bench. Uh, he has also missed a couple of practices. Kevin Kruger has been vague about where Jordan McCabe is. But Jordan McCabe potentially is not on the team anymore. That's not the important part. The important part is that UNLV last year, there's no official stats on this, but I believe UNLV last year was the worst team in the country at converting alley-oops. And... <laughs> A lot of the blame goes to Jordan McCabe. He's a, he's a good passer. We've seen plenty of great passes. For whatever reason, he cannot throw alley-oops. The second he was out of the building, they converted three alley-oops in a single game. One of them was from half court. UNLV can convert alley-oops again because Jordan McCabe is not there. The other important thing, UNLV plays Southern Illinois tonight. They're in San Juan Capistrano. Uh, first off, Southern Illinois is 3-1. and one. They have a good win against an Oklahoma State team. They went on the road and beat Oklahoma State. They also have a bad loss to Southern Indiana. I don't know what that means about Southern Illinois. They're going to shoot a lot of threes like High Point. Unlike High Point, they're only shooting like 27% from three this year. They're pretty bad at it. But the important part, this game tips at 10 p.m. Pacific time. After Monday Night Football what right here on... Monday Night Football ends at like 8.30. We don't need another hour and a half. And guess what? If UNLV loses, they play on Wednesday at 10 p.m. Pacific time. What a disaster. I'm going to be up past midnight watching this dumb team play basketball. Disaster. Oh, oh yeah. Let's complain about that I when am. you're willing to get up at 3 a.m. to watch Qatar and Senegal or whoever the hell else is playing each other in the World Cup so you can watch a game that has no scoring for 60 minutes. Listen, me a river. I was up at 5 a.m. in my bed with my phone pulling up England and Iran this morning. 5 a.m. is a lot easier than after midnight. I host a morning show on the radio. Coming up next, Mike Ramallah, who's covering that 10 o'clock start in California. Out to Jackie. She's going to shoot a very long three, and he'll hit it. Jackie Johnson. Boy, did the Rebels need that. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff featuring Adam Candy. Adam, Senegal almost just scored. I mean, shot on target, but it was right at the goalie who who uh, smacked it away. Almost a goal there. Still scoreless, 73rd minute. Joining us now is Mike Ramallah. All right, Mike, before we get to UNLV football, uh, what time do you normally go to bed? I try to be in bed uh, 9.30, 10. How do you feel about nights. covering a basketball game that starts at 10? Uh, listen, listen, guys. 
this game tonight is the most important. This is the biggest game on the schedule all season. <laughs> because the way my, my, my schedule worked out, I am driving back to Las Vegas uh, right after the conclusion of the second game here on Wednesday night. If UNLV wins tonight, they tip off at 7.30 on Wednesday, which is fine. I can do that. <laughs> if they lose tonight, they tip off at 10 o'clock again on Wednesday, <laughs> followed by an immediate five-hour drive back to Las Vegas. They have to win tonight. This is the biggest game on the schedule, in my opinion. <laughs> biggest game of the year. Okay. All right. But, Mike, I have something to point out to you. If you leave after the 7.30 game, the traffic leaving Southern California might be so bad that you might actually be better served to have the 10 p.m. tip and drive back in the middle of the night. Oh, really? On a Wednesday? <laughs> On the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Oh, that's, oh, dude, I, I did not even put that together. You're right. It is. Okay. Cheer <laughs> for late. That, that many people celebrate Thanksgiving? <laughs> All right. Let me ask you a question uh, since you're going to be in San Juan Capistrano. What are you doing about the swallows? Uh, I haven't encountered any yet. It hasn't been a problem. Uh, okay, are you are on? you going to seek them out? Are you going to celebrate them? Are you going to do any tours related to the swallows? And does Tyler know what the hell I'm talking? I have about? no. I don't. I don't no, know what's going on. I think these are birds, right? Yeah, there's a um, there's a Carl Jr. in the parking lot of my hotel, so I've been pretty <laughs> occupied with that. So I really haven't had time for the for bird watching right. yet. <laughs> I'm just surprised you eat at a Carl's Jr. To be honest. I love Carl's Jr. They'll make it as plain as you want. <laughs> All right, There's now. the marketing slogan yeah. from now on for Carl's Jr. All right, hold on. Important question. If I uh, asked you if you had ever eaten a San Juan Capistrano, what type of food does that sound like to you? It's a sandwich. Yeah, because okay, okay. sandwiches are always what gets named. Like, if it's named, it's a sandwich. That's what I thought. I, to be completely honest, I had never heard of this place, San Juan Capistrano, and when I first heard it, my first thought was, that does sound like a sandwich that I would eat Is somewhere. It? I have no idea. I don't think so. I believe it's a city that you're at in California, but you would know I'll more than in, me. I'll go into Carl's, and I'll ask for the San Juan <laughs> yeah, Capistrano. We'll San Juan see what Cap. they give me. Ask for the San Juan Cap. Uh, if... If the UNLV football team were a sandwich, Mike, what would it be called this year? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think that they. I don't know if they're worthy of, of sandwich status. Oh. Um, <laughs> well, you know what? They might. Like, they might. Uh, well, they've got to win this game against uh, Nevada to end the season, because then they could. It could be like a, a losing streak sandwich because they would sandwich in the sickest, uh, like, uh, disastrous well six-game losing streak in between a good start and a good ending. Because if they beat Nevada, some people will still be happy with that. So, so you could kind of have like a six-game losing streak sandwich. It'd be like uh, really good bread, whatever your favorite bread is, and just Love like bread. raw and moldy meat on the inside is basically what we'd have here. Yeah, it's not too far off from that. Yeah. Um, all right, here's a here's a very simple question for you. Do you believe Marcus Arroyo is coaching for his job against Nevada? No, no. I think he's probably safe this year um, just because they have made some progress like, that you can point to um, somewhat. I think next year is going to be his year where it's, you know, put up or you're gone. I think he'll be – I think he'll make it through this season. And – is it about the fact that they won four games early on? Is it about that Doug Brumfield was hurt? Or is it just about the fact that UNLV is probably not going to be willing to pay two coaches? 
I think it's probably the pay. He does have a guaranteed contract. And I also think that that hot start, there was enough there to sort of carry him through. There was enough excitement and enough. I, the biggest thing that's working in his favor is throughout the entire roster, they his, the recruiting is up. Like They just have more legitimate players at more positions than any other time in the program's recent history. So there's there's something there. He's He can point to that. Like We can compete with a lot of these Mountain West teams. Um, the thing that hurts him, I heard you guys talking earlier in the show, um, and Adam, you, you had a point about the quarterbacks, which I kind of disagree with. Um, I can't really give him a pass for the Doug Brumfield injury because uh, Marcus Orr is supposed to be a quarterback guru, and the backups who come in when Doug Brumfield is hurt are his guys, and they are horrible, and they can't win with them. Like, <laughs> it's like no, I Doug Brumfield is a Tony Sanchez recruit that Marcus Arroyo inherited, and when he gets hurt, in come the Marcus Arroyo guys, and they can't play, and those are automatic losses. So I can't give him a pass for the Doug Brumfield injury. Those losses are still on his quarterbacks that he brought in, so I can't give him a pass there. But I do think the rest of the roster, both of the lines, um, you know, linebacking core, the defense. Secondary is pretty bad, but I do think they have more players in general. We've seen them be more competitive in more games than probably any other season um, in recent memory. So I do think they are trending in the right direction. They're inching along, uh, but next year is probably the you know make a bowl game convincingly, or he's probably going to go. How close uh, to the Howard loss that Tony Sanchez suffered was that loss to Hawaii? It's a good comparison. Uh, the Howard loss was, uh, it broke on a national level where you, it made UNLV sort of a national laughing stock. Um, but we didn't know that it cost them a bowl berth until later in the season when that loss came back to haunt them and they came up one game short. Whereas Hawaii, it's not a national joke to lose to them. For people who follow the Mountain West and know the situation at Hawaii and know how bad they are, um, it is a joke to, to lose to them. But not as many people know about it. Not as many people are in on the joke. But it is an immediately devastating loss because it was an elimination loss. So, I mean, you can make a point in either favor. I still think Howard probably edges it out, but the fact that you're in that conversation is not a good thing for, for Marcus Arroyo. On the UNLV basketball side, Mike, I asked Tyler this question, and I asked the question, is a defense first team going to bring people back to the Thomas and Mac? And Tyler's point was, it doesn't matter whether it's defense or offense. It's just about playing meaningful, competitive games. What do you say? I agree. I think if they win, people will show up and support it. Or even if they just play better opponents, like we saw for the Dayton game, like I thought that the building, it wasn't sold out, but there were a lot of fans. There were a significant amount of fans there where it like sounded and felt like a, a basketball game. And it's not like Dayton is some marquee team that's, that has a national following. It's just a good team that's ranked, that people see the, the number 21 next to the, the name on the schedule, and they say, oh, that's a game worth going to. And I just think the better UNLV is, if they're a defense-first team that's winning, Kevin Kruger can schedule more games like that. He can, he's more comfortable bringing in quality opponents, and more fans will come out to see that. So I think it's more about winning and being competitive and feeling like you're in a place where you can schedule better. And I think that will bring fans back that more, that more so than being a high-scoring team that, that loses games. 
Uh, they've been great uh, on ball defense. They don't really get beaten off the dribble a whole lot. They are over aggressive with their help side to take away layups. Um, am I getting ahead of myself after four games? If I'm sitting here thinking almost all the teams they play, they're going to keep them from getting to the rim. Like it, it seems like that's how this defense is going to be, but am I getting ahead of myself? Cause it's just been four games. I have, I don't have a, as a good enough candle on the rest of the mountain West yet to know whether it's going to be like this for all 30 games this year. But for right now, I mean, they look, they look great on the defensive end. Um, I think we all thought, I, I guess the most encouraging thing would be that like this, they're playing well and it seems sustainable because this was the plan for them. Like they're, they're playing the way they intended to and it's working. It's not like they're, it's not like they beat Dayton by getting hot from three-point range and hitting 23s, you know, and then you say, oh, that's just, they'll never do that again. They're doing it by um, just locking down people, not getting beat off the dribble, not letting opposing teams into the paint. When they enter the ball into the paint uh, with a pass, you've got tons of hands swiping at it, knocking it away. They force a turnover on every third possession. That's stuff that does seem sustainable. I don't, I would hold out uh, judgment until the Mountain West season begins, but I look at the rest of their non-conference schedule, and I don't see a lot of roadblocks. Like, I see, at this point, I'm not sure if they will lose a game in non-conference. Oh, now I'm you. the one getting ahead of myself. Look at you. They can't right? score, Mike. They're going to lose one eventually. You think? I, mean, I don't know. I They, they went well, They went 1 for 12 from, uh, or 0 for 12 from three-point range in the last game in the first half, and they still ended up making enough threes to win. So I don't know. Mike, do you have Jordan McCabe locked in your trunk? I, I don't uh, have Jordan McCabe with me. I don't know where he is. Uh, we'll see if he's <laughs> out there tonight. That's an interesting story to follow. Um, I don't know his whereabouts. The way you phrase that makes it sound like you personally lost him. I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> I'm just, I'm on the search committee. I am looking for him. All right. So I'm trying to, yeah. Before we let you go, are you happy with the way the Patriots won, or are you just glad that game ended before overtime? Any game that ends before overtime is uh, solid in my books. I'm, I'm neutral, you know. I don't have, I'm not officially a fan of any uh, professional NFL team, but <laughs> yeah, that was not that game was not much of a looker. All right. Uh, enjoy your Carl's Jr. And I think you're supposed to go bird watching. He's Mike Ramallah from the Las Vegas Sun. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, guys. Adam, you're not going to believe it. The Netherlands just scored in the 84th minute. Oh, my God. That means there's only six plus like 30 of extra time. Uh, Danny is in here fist pumping, uh, which should tell you that he bet on the Netherlands. Coming up oh, next, God. find out more from Degenerate Danny. Holmes, third and four, takes the snap, stays in the pocket, crossing pattern, caught at the 25-yard line, Kelsey at the 20-15, sends a tackle up the right sideline, 10, 5, touchdown, Kansas City! Holmes, crossing pattern, caught Kelsey, 10-yard line, 5-yard line, touchdown, Kansas City! Will Kelsey do it to the Chargers again on a crossing pattern? And now Travis Kelsey, a 17-yard touchdown reception to take the lead, plus his 33rd 100-yard receiving game of his career, the most by a tight end in National Football League history. And in 31 seconds, the Chiefs take a 29-27 lead. You're locked in the press box. Adam Candy filling in for Ed Graney. 
Thanks, Adam Candy from Legal Sports Report today. Uh, tomorrow, Ed and I will hopefully be out at Parkway Tavern uh, in the district near Green Valley Ranch. World Cup on in the morning. Mexico plays Poland at 8 a.m. Right now, the Netherlands lead Senegal 1-0. They are past 90 minutes. There's eight minutes of stoppage time. Degenerate Danny is in here. Um, so far to recap, Danny walked in. The game was tied, and he dropped an F-bomb. Then... When the Netherlands scored, we got about 15 seconds of fist pumping. And then during that commercial break, Danny cussed some more at the TV because there are eight minutes of stoppage time. And he does not want eight minutes of stoppage time because he has the Netherlands to win. Yeah, this is ridiculous. Way too much stoppage time. <laughs> he also Danny. Oh, go ahead. Danny, has any team scored seven touchdowns yet this year? Yes. <laughs> yes, the Cowboys did it. Oh, he lost. And, and I almost texted in our morning group chat between myself, Jared, Ed, and Tyler, I was actually, I had the ability, I did not take it, but I had the ability to bet if a team would score seven or more touchdowns between weeks nine and 17. I didn't take it though. Wow. You held off. I held Good off. Job. Good job. Danny. Wow. Let's, but let's, let's go back and focus on something here. Apparently, uh, apparently not everything is featuring Adam candy. Huh? Interesting, our morning show group text. Huh. Huh. I, uh, I, blame I don't remember getting any of those texts. Well, to be, he said he didn't send it, so I didn't get it either, to be fair. Danny is now not listening to anything you're yeah. saying, Adam. No, I'm, I'm 100% listening. Senegal but, just almost had a shot on goal, so Danny I, is completely very back invested. Out. Uh, Danny, if we can steal your attention yes. for the last five minutes... I, I want to tell you, I want to give you a congratulations because you hit your bet on over three yep. and a half field goals in the Broncos and Raiders game in a game in which Daniel Carlson missed a field goal and the Raiders blocked another field goal. Yeah. Like you, you got two misses and it still went over three and a half. And did you, you said you placed one on Carlson over no, one I, and a half? I didn't take that one because I didn't get my drive down to Arizona yesterday. <laughs> I overslept on my alarm before the morning games. Oh, for the love of God. But I did get the uh, over three and a half one. <laughs> How far Where past? do you stop in Arizona, yeah. Danny? Yeah. Uh, I stop at Kingman's Wash, the first exit over yep. the Hoover Dam. Yep. I pull off to the side of the road, and actually, if you go down there on Sunday mornings, there will be a group of cars down there, and me and my buddy, well, actually, my buddy asked one of the cars, hey, what are you betting on? And they actually yelled out a couple of bets. So we know that multiple people drive down there to make bets. So basically, you've got like a Breaking Bad style of degenerates <laughs> gathering on the other side of the Hoover Dam. Oh, uh, it's to fantastic! Place wagers on on Arizona only available bets. Okay, it's fantastic. Um, <laughs> you you told us about the field goal bet. The and o- you, oh, and by the you... way, the open today was a tribute to you getting that correct. Oh yeah, Jared played every field goal attempt. <laughs> Yeah, it was like six minutes long. Yeah, oh, it was incredibly long. Incredibly Uh, long. Had I known that, I would have tuned in. Yeah, um, but I am curious. Like, you won the field goal bet. Did you make money this weekend? Yes, because, um, yeah, that was the only bet that I made on Sunday. No, oh, it was a okay. light week. It was a light weekend wow. for me. I'm disappointed in you. I You're had, supposed to be getting the Jossiel Puig numbers. Didn't go to Arizona. Uh, yeah, You're supposed I, to be getting the Jossiel Puig numbers of 899 in three months. I know. To be, I got to prepare for this World Cup. 
What, what else do we have riding on the World Cup, Danny? All right, so right now I have Netherlands minus one, which right now it's looking to be a push. I also have Netherlands over one and a half goals. So oh, you're not even going to win? I thought you just had Netherlands to win. No. You're not even going to win the bet. I you're was excited for goals. Oh, my God. That's why I told you Netherlands needs to start pushing, but they're sitting back. <sighs> yes, they're winning with three minutes left in the game. Yeah, it doesn't matter if they win by two or not. They just need to win by one. No, if they win by two. I'm aware you win both your bets. Yes. I'm saying they don't care about degenerate Danny's bets. I know they don't, yeah. and that's very unfortunate. I need them to care. Did you bet at all on England and Iran because there were eight goals in that game? I did not, but I did. Did bet in I bet on USA and Wales for there to be a goal in the first 35 minutes of the game. Is that because I told you last week that every U.S. opener in the World Cup, there's been a goal in the first 15 minutes? That was a part of it, but also just because it was a fun bet. Right. Why 35 minutes? I don't know. They're all random because there was another one. I think this Netherlands game, it was uh, in the first 28 minutes. Ah, so they're, Very. Just, they're randomly trying to handicap how Yeah. All right. That's a weird thing to do. Because yeah. they do that in hockey, but it's always first 10. First five first and first five. 10. Yeah. yeah. And they Danny, also what are you do that. on Thanksgiving? Oh, I don't know yet, but me and, my, <laughs> me and my buddy are driving to Arizona Wednesday night. God. I'm running I'm running Q show on, on Raider Nation, and then we're driving down to Arizona. You might as well just take a turkey with you and have Thanksgiving there. Think of all the in-game plays you're missing out on. I might have to stop for a rotisserie. <laughs> no, me and him have actually... <laughs> Me and him have actually had the conversation of sitting down there one day in the bed of my truck, set up a TV, and just hang out down there so that we yes. can in-game. You're missing out. Think of this, Danny. That I'll let you know. That is a country song waiting to happen. I love, <laughs> I love so much that Danny lives in Las Vegas, and he have, finds it necessary to drive to another state to place bets on the NFL and the World Cup. It's a great story, isn't You're it? You're so great, Glorious. Degenerate Danny. Bye. I miss Glorious. you. Thank you, Adam. I love you, Adam. Thank you, Danny. <laughs>